Okay, we are finishing up Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. We're finishing up in chapter 23, and then we'll start in on, on chapter 24. I'm sorry, of, of Sam, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 23. And um, so, you, you see here that in, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 19, again, David is fleeing from Saul. And the Ziphites, in verse 19, we'll pick it up reading there. The Ziphites, 1 Samuel 23, 19, the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is not David hiding with us in the stronghold at Horish and on the hill of Hekilah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to do so, and on our part we shall surrender him into the king's hand. And so David is, is, is turned over by the Ziphites. Remember, he had done nothing to the Ziphites, but they went and they told King Saul, probably because they were afraid of what Saul would do to them because they had heard what Saul did to, to uh, Noam. But then David flees, and it says that David's on one side of the mountain and, and, and King Saul is on the other side of the mountain. And King Saul is beginning to surround David and about to trap him. And then let's pick it up on, in verse 26. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines there. Therefore they called the, the place the Rock of Escape. David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. Okay, so you see that, that uh, uh, you get this divine intervention. And I was thinking about the life of David. So if you think that David was particularly blessed and things went well, you know, this, this guy went through more life-threatening things, more life-threatening things in a week than I will ever go through in my lifetime. So if you ever get this mentality, why me? Why is all this bad stuff happening to me? Compare yourself to King David. Remember, more life-threatening things happen to David in a week than will happen to us in an entire lifetime. So if we think that, oh, God really blessed David, why isn't he blessing me? Well, there were other great costs involved. And now you see the divine intervention. So God, is, God really protects David. But now there's this divine intervention where David was really trapped. And then, boom, God intervenes and calls Saul back by having the Philistines enter into a raid. And so you see the hand of God is able to move even foreign armies in order to get his purposes done and protect his people. So often we are led by circumstances. This happens all the time. And uh, circumstances can protect us. Circumstances, God will use circumstances to protect us and watch over us. And, and uh, as believers, many times we think that God is going to speak to me and therefore lead me. So often we are led by circumstances. And here is another example of that. So David flees and he goes to En Gedi. This is on the coast of the Dead Sea. So he's, this is about 25 or 30 miles away from where he was around this mountain. So... Uh, uh, you know, this, this is on the other side of Israel. So we think, you know, 25 miles, how could that get you kind of on the other side of Israel? Remember, Israel is, is, is about the size of Houston. 
you know, the whole country is about the size of Houston, maybe even smaller in, in, in uh, uh, land square area. It's not smaller? Yeah, okay. It, it, it's a, it, it, and so, um, if, you go, if you go 25 miles, you've gone quite a ways across the land of Israel. So now he's in Gedi. And now this is a really interesting portion in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds on the way, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David rose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. And he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose and left the cave and went on his way. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul and said, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of the men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has give, had given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you. But my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now, my father, see, indeed, see the edge of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you, no one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. To take it. And let's skip down to verse 16. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me, while I have dealt wickedly with you. So, King Saul goes to En Gedi, and what happens? Well, King Saul has to go to the bathroom. And so he goes, and he goes into a cave. So David and his men just happen to be in the recesses of that cave. Now, maybe not all 600 of his men were in that particular cave. They were in caves spread around there. But Saul happens to walk into the cave where David and his men are hiding. David and some of his men are hiding. And it says that he has to relieve himself. And this says that, uh, um, I, I guess the, the translation here, you know, it's an interesting translation. It says, um, you know, something about his, 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 his uh, garments being down at his feet or something, which is, which is the, uh, the way of expressing that, you know, here he is using the, the cave as a restroom. I mean, kings have to use the restroom like everybody else. So he goes into this cave because, you know, you just kind of get alone there. And so he's coming into the cave, so he's outlined with the light from the outside. 
these other men are hiding in the recesses of the cave so they can see him perfectly, but he can't see a thing. So he probably moves a little ways into the cave. They're still looking outward toward him. They can see him very clearly. And now, when he gets into the cave, David's men say, Yes! Kill him! Now is the perfect opportunity. And in fact, it's more than that. They don't say just that. They say, in verse 4, The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Okay, so they start invoking the name of God. That God has given him to you this day. Don't you see? God has presented him to you upon a silver platter. You know, when somebody's pants are down, it's hard to get up and start fighting. Here, he was totally vulnerable. Didn't know David was there. Didn't have his, his, his equipment in his hand. And... His men presuppose that this is God's will. Well, for the message today, let me just say that, that uh, in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So, David is presented with this, and his men Give them this quote. This is the day God said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you you shall do to him as it seems good to you. You know, I looked for where this quote came from. There is no such quote of God to David. Certainly not concerning this. So they made this up. In other words, how could people make stuff up? Well, I'll tell you what people have said to me. People have said to me, The Bible says, God helps those who help themselves. Don't, don't a lot of people say that? It's not in the Bible. That is not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. People say, oh, it does? Okay, well, I, no, it doesn't say that at all. In fact, it says on the contrary. God helps those whose eyes are toward Him and care about Him and His ways, not those who take for themselves. So people have this way of... of assuming God says something and even projecting it into the Bible. One day when my son was in high school, he said to me, um, you know, he was really distraught within himself because he had received the Lord like many children do in, in growing up in Christian homes at a very young age when he was about four years old. But now here he was in high school wrestling with this and wondering if he really saved. And he called me to his room one day, which for him was very unusual. He said, I have to ask you something. He says, you know how it says in the Bible that if you're really a Christian, you should feel it? And I said, um, no, I, I don't know that verse. He says, you know, it, it, it says if, if you're a Christian, you should feel it. I said, no, I, I don't know that verse. Could you show it to me? I said, you know, it's not in there. In fact, it says on the contrary, our faith is based on the truth and reality of the Word of God, not what we feel. It's not based on how I feel inside. Now, God may give us a good feeling, once we're saved, but the faith, the truth of it, is not based on any particular feeling. He says, oh, okay. Because he had, he had received the Lord with one of his teachers there in high school. You know, he'd gone and prayed with him, but he didn't, it, it, 
he was wondering if he should feel something more profound inside. And I wanted to reassure him that this decision of faith is based on what the Scriptures say. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God has risen from the dead, you shall be saved, it says. It doesn't say that you will feel any particular way. So, here his men start invoking this as if it's God speaking. And so they say, you know, God's given him into your hand. Kill him now. So David goes and just cuts the edge of his robe off. He takes a knife and just... Probably because the guy had to go really bad. You know, here he's, you know, come a long way. He's throwing his, his cloak off in this direction. And so David just goes and cuts a little edge off it. And he doesn't kill him. And it says, right after he, he cut off the edge of his robe, in verse 5 it says, It came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. I mean, here is a guy that kills people just, you know, you go out and just kill 200 people. Just like that. I mean, David was killing people all the time. He was a warrior. He was fighting and having battles and killing all sorts of people. Remember when he was fighting for Saul? Saul sent him out to kill 100 Philistines so that he could win his daughter. And he went out and he killed 200. But just the edge of the robe of somebody that he had no business touching affected his conscience because this was different. You know what's happening here? Is David knows that he's going to be king. God has said this. And if he is to reach out his hand and attack this, this other man, if he's to attack this man, What's going to keep people from attacking him when he is king? Because you really reap what you sow. If I attack my boss, who is my boss? I have a chair of my department. I have a dean over me. I have a provost. I have a president. If I attack them verbally, and I go around saying evil things about those who are in positions over me, do you know what will happen? People who are in positions under me will start speaking evil of me. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. David well knows if he raises his hand against King Saul, he has even said it. He says, King Saul may die in battle someday. King Saul may, may, may uh, be fighting in a war and die in that way. That may happen. But he says, I cannot raise my hand against him. I can't do that. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Whatever he sows, that he shall reap. That's what's going to happen. And so he says to him, he says to his men, this bothers me. And his men are like, your conscience bothers you because you cut a little you know, piece of fabric off his robe? Go cut his throat! On many occasions, his men have told him, you know, let me go kill him. I'll kill him for you. And it says that David held back his men. In verse 7, David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. They wanted to kill him. He wouldn't allow it. He wouldn't allow them to kill King Saul. Whatever you sow, that you shall also reap. 
If you speak evil of your boss, people under you will speak evil of you. Say, well, there's really no one under me. There will be someday. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you deal honestly, if you deal with integrity, people will deal that way with you. If you take things from your work that don't belong to you, you bring your pads of paper home and those become your, this is how you supply your home and things from your work, just remember, people will take them from you. Your workers will take them from you. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You speak well of your boss. Even if your boss is not great, then say nothing. If your boss is mean, say nothing. You can speak with people in generalities, but not, you know, in a prayer meeting, you know, my boss is doing this to me, but don't speak with co-workers and hang out by the water cooler and do this. Don't be a party to it, or people will be a party to it with you. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. David is very smart. He knows, he knows what's happening. He knows that if I lift my hand against this man as the Lord's anointed king, somebody will lift their hand against me. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. The Bible says, do good to your enemy. Look over in Luke chapter 6. These are, these are now Jesus' words to, to his followers in Luke chapter 6. We're going to start reading from verse 27. This is what Jesus instructs us. But I say to you who hear, Luke 6, 27, But I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Wow, that's pretty hard. He says, You are to love your enemies and do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. If somebody mistreats you, this attitude will, I'll get them back. I want you to know that that attitude is not of God, it is of Satan, and you are being used of the devil. That's not of God. That attitude rises up within us. I'm going to get this guy back. That is not of God. It says, you are to bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. This is what it says that we are supposed to do. You know, one day I was driving and I, I wasn't, apparently wasn't going fast enough. And um, uh, um, I must have upset this driver behind me. And he's honking the horn and I look back in the mirror and he's giving me a hand expression that's, that's known all over the world. But not just with one hand, with two hands. I didn't know how the guy could be driving. And he was able to do this with both of his hands. And every time I think about this guy, you know what the command is? You're to bless him. And you're to pray for him. You are to bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. He says in verse 29, Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. 
If you lend to those to whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. You know, Christians will often say, well, you know, if, if, they, if they want forgiveness, then I'll forgive them. No, it never says you are to forgive those who ask for forgiveness. It says you are to forgive. It says you are to forgive. This is what it calls us to do. In fact, it says in, 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 uh, right after the Lord's Prayer that if we do not forgive our neighbor, our Heavenly Father will not forgive us. That's how strong it is. And it never says, only if your neighbor asks for forgiveness shall you forgive them. We never asked God's forgiveness. Jesus looked down from the cross at those who were crucifying him and he said, Father, forgive them. They never said, oh, forgive us. And then Jesus said, oh, okay, Father, forgive them. No, he forgave them. Forgiveness comes before they ask for forgiveness. In verse 35, but if you love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, uh, but love your enemies and do good and expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. You see, Jesus promises a reward to love our enemies, to love those who hurt us. He says then, uh, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is grateful to evil men. If, uh, I'm sorry, for He Himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Verse 36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now in verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. Many people will quote that verse with respect to giving of money. And maybe it works with giving of money. There are other portions, like in 1 Corinthians, that deal with the giving of money. This has nothing to do with the giving of money in a donation to a missionary or to a church or to some good cause. It has particularly to do with being merciful and not judging. It says in verse 37, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. And if you think, why is everybody always dumping on me? Well, think about it. Have you been dumping on others? Maybe you're just reaping what you have sown. This is what the scriptures call us to. They call us to something greater. We reap what we sow. And remember the principle of sowing and reaping is not, I plant a kernel of corn, I get a kernel of corn back. It is, I plant a kernel of corn and I get 10,000 kernels of corn back. It is a plant that I plant an apple seed and I yield 75 years of apples from that planting of that one apple seed. That is the principle of sowing and reaping. So that's why it says, give and it will be given to you. Give what? Give pardoning. Give judgment. You give judgment and it will come right back to you. And you say, well, I judged that guy a little. Look at what else happened to me. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. You judge a little, you're going to get a lot of judgment back. There's this woman, she says, I don't know why my kids never come to see me. They'll even come into town and they won't even come to see me. And then I look at this woman and I think, you know, you're just reaping what you've sown. I mean, you're always dumping on them and giving them a hard time. They want nothing to do with you. You reap what you sow. 
He says, do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. So in other words, if you sow, if I sow a little bit of pardoning, guess what? We will get tons of pardoning back. I offend so many people. I really do. I've hurt so many people, but by the grace of God, I've been forgiven so many times. I've been pardoned so many times. I've been pardoned by my wife so many times. If I show a little bit of pardoning, I will receive back pardon upon pardon. That's what it says. The principle of sowing and reaping. This is what David's doing. He's setting up his kingship. He's setting up his life. What is the best way to do this? I will never raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. I will never do it. And that way no one will ever raise their hand against me while I am in my kingdom. I will be kind and respectful to my bosses. I will speak well of them. You know what will happen? People will speak well of me. He says, it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. In the way that you give out to others, you will receive. Let me give you another example. My wife is loved by everybody. Everybody loves my wife. Well, you know what she does? So on, 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 on Sundays after the meal, you know, she sends students away with food. And then, and then uh, uh, after dinner on Sunday nights, she gathers up all the food. And you know what she does with it? She goes around to people in the city and gives it to them. The families that she knows. She gives away that food. I'm like... You know, you left this house at 7 in the morning to start buying food to prepare breakfast for these students. And here it is at 7 p.m., and you're just going out to give away more food after having served lunch to other people. I mean, this woman just gives so much, and everybody loves her. You reap what you sow. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will pour out of your lap, it says. And so I go following behind my wife and I just pick up all this stuff that falls out of her lap. All these blessings. And, and you, you know, people tolerate me because they love my wife so much. Even, even Barbara gave her this book for, for uh, her birthday. <laughs> Marriage to a Difficult Man. <laughs> I mean, she's reading that in the evening and I just... What are you reading that book for? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, the principle of sowing and reaping. This is what he's setting up in his kingdom. And his conscience bothered him and he didn't let, just let this conscience go. Look in, in 1 Timothy. Turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This thing of a good conscience is really important. When your conscience starts to, starts to touch you, you know, you've you, you got to pay attention to this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. So here, Paul's instruction to Timothy is you have to keep faith. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19. Keep faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. If you don't keep a good conscience, your faith is going to become very weak. Your faith in God will become very weak. 
Why? Because God uses our conscience to speak to us through the Holy Spirit. So that when we do wrong, the Bible says, the, the, the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart saying, that was wrong. You can't do that. Well, like, everybody does that. Not Jesus. Well, you know, but everybody else does that. Not Jesus. You can't do that. As believers, we are different. We are different as believers. As believers, we're different. We can't do and get away with what other people do because our conscience touches us. And you know what happens? If we don't respond to that, we go a week, two weeks, three weeks, it begins to go away. But then it's harder to hear from the Holy Spirit. If you want to be sensitive, you deal with these issues. This is why I love the Lord's Supper. Lord, remind me this over this week. Is there something that I need to speak to, need to repent of? Is there something that I need to speak to somebody about because I've done something to hurt them? He says, don't neglect the conscience. It says, David's conscience hurt him. And the people around him, remember where these people came from? Remember, it says everyone who is in debt, everyone who is discontented, and, and, and came to him when he was in the cave of Adullam. So these were bad characters. Their consciences didn't bother them at all. There was no problem with their consciences. They kill them. You're worried about this little piece of fabric? Don't touch him. Don't kill him. You know, these guys are all pulling back their swords and you know, pulling back their spears and, and, and wanting to take shots at this guy. David wouldn't allow it. David's kingdom was only threatened on one occasion, and that was by his son Absalom. And why did that happen? It happened because David took another man's wife, Uriah's wife. Uriah was one of his 30 mighty men, so well known to, your, to David. He was... Uh, 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 um, so... And Bathsheba's father was another one of David's mighty men. So this was one of his associate's daughters that he took, who was already married. And it was also Ahithophel, Ahithophel, his trusted counselor. It was Ahithophel's granddaughter. David well knew that he had no business taking Bathsheba. He took Bathsheba. What happened? Ahithophel rebelled from him, went on in the rebellion with Absalom. The prophecy that came to him from Gad, this, uh, I'm sorry, from, from Nathan, the prophecy that came to him was that he would, uh, he would suffer in his kingdom, that he took another man's wife. And so what was going to happen? That someone would sleep with his wives in broad daylight. He says, what you did in secret is going to happen to you in broad daylight. So his son Absalom when he comes into Jerusalem, comes in and takes several of David's concubines and sleeps with them on the roof of the palace for everybody to see he goes into the tent with them. David reaped what he had sown. He came in, he took another man's house, another man, his own son, took his house. Whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. Up until that point, no one made a challenge on David's kingdom. Because of the way that he had lived with respect to King Saul. We reap what we sow. 
we really reap what we sow. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not... Do not... Be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. David was a very smart man. He would never raise his hand against God's anointed, and then no man would ever challenge his kingdom. So what, what, what is our call then? Our call is to think about what we do. Don't oppose authority. You know, sometimes people will come and they'll say stuff in the church. One day a guy came, this was many years ago in another state, in another church, um, a, a group formed in the church. They were all upset about the pastor. And one guy from the group, you know, wanted me to be part of their, their little group. And he came to my house. He said, you know, I have some things to tell you about the pastor. And I said, I don't want to hear a word of it. I said, you know how much junk I have in my own life? The last thing I need to do is hear stuff about other people. I don't even want to hear it. He said, you don't even want to hear what he did? I said, absolutely not. I don't want to hear it. You can go. I don't want to hear it. And I sent him away. Well, that little group went off and started their own church, and it lasted for about six months, and there was all this infighting, and they all fell apart and went away. I will not oppose church's authority. I will not do it. If I feel that the pastor is doing something wrong, and there have been occasions where I've felt the pastors were doing things wrong, I go and I talk to them. And then most of the time when they explain to me from their perspective, I go, oh, I understand. And I learned a long time ago, I don't go in there and say, I think you're doing wrong. I say, could you explain to me why we're doing it this way or why you're doing it this way? And as soon as I hear from their perspective, it's like, oh, okay. I'm not going to impose the church's authority. I will not do it. I don't want to speak poorly of those in leadership over me. I won't do it. You know, I may, you, you know, think that, oh, the, you know, this, this, you know, he's teaching this, he's teaching that, and it's not quite right. You know what I do? Is I go to the pastor and I talk to him and say, you, you know, let me show you something from the Word of God. And generally, we, you, you know, we look at verse upon verse and we come to some agreement. But I'm not going to go around speaking evil of them. Why? Because I don't want you guys coming speaking evil stuff about me. I don't want my research group falling apart. I don't want to cause infighting at work because then what's going to happen? There's people under me. Jesus equated faith with respect of authority. There was a centurion said, you don't even have to bother coming to my house because I'm a man, under, I'm a, I'm a man in authority too. I speak a word and it's done. All you've got to do is speak the word. And Jesus looked and he turned around and he says, I've never seen such faith in all of Israel. He equated respect for authority with faith. This is what David, this man, realized. So it's perfect setup. You want to have a good life? You want to have a good life? You want to have a good job? You want to be respected at work? It's easy. Respect others. Be nice to others. And your jobs will go well. Your careers will go well. Speak well of people. And it will go well. Even when they do you wrong, the Bible says, do them right. Do them good. And you know, you know it, it says in Proverbs... It is, uh, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this because I don't remember the exact words, but it, it, it's something like, uh, um, it is an act of maturity or an act of God to overlook an offense. 
Now, somebody sent me an email, which was a copy of an email that was sent to them. They said, look what this person said about you. So forwarded somebody else's email to me. And, uh, um, and I saw that email. And at first I was a little disturbed, but then I, I replied back. I said, you know, she's right. And I, <laughs> just, and I thought of it from this other person. I said, it's not that bad. I mean, it's a tiny little thing. And you just let it go. Let it go. You know, there was some truth in that. There really was. There was some truth in that. But this other person thought that, I don't know what, what they thought, but, but they wanted me to know, I had to know this. But it, it, it's an act of maturity to overlook an offense, to let it go. This is what God calls us to. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word the truth of it. Lord, I pray that you cause us to be responsive to our consciences when our conscience should say something to us. Lord, bring us to a higher plane that Jesus has called us to that is much higher than the requirements of the world. That we are to love our enemies. We are to do good to those who do us wrong. Father, I pray that you would call us to walk in this higher way, that by your Holy Spirit we would bless those who curse us, pray for those that mistreat us. Father, that like David, we would not speak against the Lord's anointed. We would not raise our hands against them. Father, I pray that you give us respect for the body of Christ, respect for leadership in the church, respect for leadership in our occupations, in our, in our jobs. Because that which we sow, we will also reap. Father, I thank you for the truth that when we show mercy, when we show pardoning, when we refrain from judging, we receive many times over in mercy and in pardoning. Father, I pray for these young people that they would walk in that. That they may have good lives without all that baggage that plagues over older people that have filled their lives with a with judgment, and with mercilessness. Father, I pray that they would be able to grow free of that because they, at this young age, would learn to show mercy and to show pardoning. The grace of God be with them, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.